Oh, that clock's going to annoy me. Can you hear that? I can hear it. Um, so before we get the show started today, I just thought I'd, I'd talk to you for a minute. Today is like our Bob Hoskin double bill. I'll call up Magic Mike in a minute. Uh, but it's one of these episodes that I've been sewing together. We recorded our discussion on Mona Lisa weeks, if not like months ago. Because it was on uh, all four, so it was like on demand. So we had to get it watched and sort of recorded within those like seven days. So this discussion where we're talking about uh, a long good Friday or the long good Friday is recorded like in the end of July. So I'm not sure if I want to make any dated references, but uh, that explains if there is any a noticeable difference in audio quality just because they're recorded over different months so but yeah uh, also like give a wee thank you to all the people that tuned in to episode 250 last email i got was that we had over 47 downloads which is actually really quite a lot for us so i was well chuffed to see that the numbers on that episode are still going up but yeah uh, always feel free to interact with me on twitter i'm always happy to get tagged in post. I might not always re- like reply to them, but it's nice to see that you are still interacting with us. So uh, today's episode is going to be sponsored by, or I should say produced, by uh, Tiger Lager and my dad's tablet. So that should be fun. Uh, so I think what I'll do first, I'm going to get rid of that clock. I'll stick it in the kitchen. Yeah, I'll be able to move that and not break it. And, yeah, I'll give Mike a call. Hello, and welcome to episode 251 of the Films and Swear Movie Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Sutherland, and joining me tonight across the internet, Magic Mike Christie. Yeah. And today we are doing a double bill of uh, Bob Hoskin movies. We're going to be discussing The Long Good Friday from John McKenzie and Neil Jordan's Mona Lisa. But before we jump into our Mm. film discussion today, I thought we'd talk a little bit about Bob. Uh, Mike, what would you say like your first memories of uh, Bob Hoskin would be to you? Like what films do you remember him from? I mean, I think every child would probably have to say it's either a, a split between Who Framed Roger Rabbit and mm-hmm. uh, Hook. Aye, definitely for like our... I think, I think it would be Who Roger Rabbit. I think that come out first. Yes, aye. And then Hook was... A couple of years later. Yes, aye, and that's it because even though he's no a big character in Hook, but he's, he's like a known one. Smee. Like, ah, it's like even though Hook's right hand man. Like Hook, ah, right hand man. Ah, yeah. Well, actually, does he have a right hand? Because he has a hook. Which hand was the hook on? But anyway, you're right. Uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? That would probably be my first introduction to Bob Hoskins, and probably the film that like yeah. terrified me of Christopher Lloyd as well. Oh, I know, aye. Like, considering it's a kid's film, it, like, it's fucking... did so much, like, 
terrify me, but I can understand where all those scenes to the end goes full cartoon at the end. Ah, that's nightmare material. The eyes and popping out, the it's screaming. Like it's like his high pitched voice and all that. Aye. And then obviously when he gets like run over with a steamroller, that's quite comedic. Exactly. That film was like a like a universal rating. And then Jessica Rabbit showed up, and then it turned to a PG. Then it turns in straight into a fifteen when they kill off Christopher Lloyd at the end. <laughs> I could like that. They actually talk about it, like, like, because as I know, I because Paul Hoskins' character Bill has been killed by uh, Christopher Lloyd's character. Right. I can't remember what was his fucking name again. What was the Dude, I have. That I can swear I've never seen that since I was a child. But it's like one of those films you just. Don't forget certain images. Uh, and I mean, the thing is, like, when you were a, like, that well, was probably, like, one of your first, like, cinema crushes with fucking Jessica Rabbit as well. <laughs> and that, like, every fucking person that you speak to at least had to say that they fucking had a crush with Jessica Rabbit. But I mean, like, I didn't think you would get anything like that nowadays because of the whole. Crossover with like, what, like Warner Brothers and Disney, that was a mix of like Looney Tunes and Disney. Yeah, aye. I think there'd be a lot of like court cases involved for it. Aye. For a second there, I thought you were meaning we couldn't do that nowadays in the sense that you couldn't get such uh, voluptuous characters like Jessica Rabbit in like a Pixar movie. You can't imagine the fucking protagonist mm. going about with giant jugs. I mean, you never know, because, I mean, like, on, on like, Disney Plus and that, they've got, like, <laughs> You're optimistic. Plus, like, You're not giving out hope. I like even, that. I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i still pissed off at the Disney Hay songs of the South on Disney Plus. No, no. And uh, but the <laughs> fact that they've got, like, they've got an episode of The Simpsons on Disney Plus where it shows them doing a itchy and scratchy cartoon involving Hitler, and Maggie stands up and does the Hitler salute. Oh, it's... Right and enough. I, and it's not even, like, cut out or anything, and I'm thinking... Man, how would that have been cut out? I mean, I fucking love that I'd be doubted, like, God, if it was cut out, but it's no, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Hey, right. But no, I think it's easily as also due to the film, because I don't think. Totally. I'm trying to think of anything, anything else that I, I recognise on fair mm-hmm. parts, I like to say. Like, day two plus, like, Lone Good Friday and Mona Lisa and all that. Aye. I think. Now, um. God, I bet. I don't know if you could hear that, but my mother-in-law, EastEnders must be finished, so I think it's now Casualty. Which is uh, quite funny with the connections in today's film. Sad. But, <laughs> for fuck's sake. Oh, living with your in-laws. Um, so, uh, favourite film featuring old Bob Hoskins. Now, obviously, well, I'm not going to mention any of the films from today, just because I don't want to swing the vote just yet. I don't want to tell them what we thought, but Prior to seeing Mona Lisa and The Long Good Friday, probably my favourite, actually I could, I could tell, I know my favourite and I know your favourite. Over here it's known as Unleashed, but... Yeah, I had an idea you were going to be saying that. Exactly, Danny the Dog was its like original title. This So uh, Jet Li, Morgan Freeman and Bob Hoskins. And that was obviously one of his far later movies, but it was brilliant because Jet Li was this caged animal. He was like, he was like an attack dog for like the mob, 
and his handler was Bob uh, Hoskins. Yeah, Bob Hoskins was basically like a gangster in this as well. Yeah. The fact that the computer it was set in like Glasgow as well, but like all the shopkeepers had English accents. <laughs> well, that was it. There was a photo, well, no, there's an actual scene in the movie of like Morgan Freeman and Jet Li going to spar. Aye. They never quite got a subway. Yeah, like tenants but... and Iron Brew and all that. <laughs> so there's that was cool that you kind of got to see that as well. Uh, and for you, Mike, I could I've predicted I I could swear your favorite Bob Hoskins movie. Now it wasn't really a film that he was featured heavily in, but he definitely he played himself. So if you if you I'll let our audience know, Bob Hoskins also featured in Spice World. I mean, I've never seen it, so I would never know. <laughs> okay. I was just, I was actually trying to fucking think. I was like, what does he know? I was like, yes, Bob Hoskins shows up as himself in Spice World. Because who's who in fucking British cinema had to appear in Spice World? That that I can't. I've I've not got the facts in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that won all the Baftas that year. Yeah. Or it wasn't summoned that year anyway. <laughs> but aye, Mike, what, off the top of your head, what would probably be your favourite Bob Hoskin movie? I think it probably would be Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but, uh, just because it's, like, it was that, that pivotal of being like a film that you grew up with. Yeah. And, uh, and like, it's still, it's still like, like, rewatchable like, mm-hmm. nowadays. Aye. I mean, they were on like, like I mean, his role is me and Hook's fucking brilliant and that. Like, I was, yeah. I watched it the other night and I think it was the first time I've seen it in Donkeys. Probably 15 years and stuff. And like, I tend to forget about like, that a bit at the end. We just try to like rob Hooky Oi's like, jewellery <laughs> and all that. And he's Aye. running around and all that. And, it's, and in fact, he plays like a, like a street sweeper at the end, like back in like, the real world. Yeah. And. So you re- you reprised that role, and they done, uh, you know how Sky One always does sort of like TV movies at Christmas. Uh, one year they did uh, some sort of, it wasn't Hook, and it wasn't Peter Pan, but it was something to do with like Neverland, like a two-part uh, episode, right. and he was Smee in both episodes. Oh, was it? I never knew that. So he reprised his role for that, so that, that's a great little bit of casting. So. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it would have been an easy get with Sky being like kind of like one of the biggest UK companies and him being a British actor. Yeah. It probably wouldn't have been much of a struggle. He wouldn't he wouldn't need to travel anywhere really. Yeah. So, and they probably bumped up his like, Sky package for it as well. Also, like, also plays Hook's right hand man, but he almost kind of plays Hook's fucking like carer. Mm. I feel because obviously like, Hook's obviously suffering for fucking like. Like post traumatic stress or with a crocodile. Aye, with crocodile and obviously he hates like clocks and all that. And Aye, he's quite suicidal and stuff. Eh? And <laughs> like half the time, like he fucking tries to stop Hook from fucking like blowing his head off and all that. Jesus, and, like takes him to his bed. And is all it? That and is it like back quite, on Netflix like, or, or fucking? That's on Netflix, aye. Oh well, I'll have to have a wee look. Uh, Aye, like, Dustin uh, Hoffman was great. Dustin Hoffman, like, is fucking brilliant as hooking it. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't remember, was this, I think it was a bit of trivia, so wasn't Glenn Close, like, one of the pirates in the movie? Yeah, she was the one that, when Robin Hood, like, when Robin Hood first goes to, like, Neverland, and, yeah. like, like, he shows up with the kids, 
he starts talking about like like a, a pirate amongst them like uh, never believed in like Hook getting his kids. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a uh, Glenn Close uh, I was the one they put in the they called it the boot box. Right. Or the boo box. It was basically just a chest that was like fucking the through like live with scorpions in it and stuff. Ah. Aye, so that was quite close because it was like, I mean, you could kind of see it now, but before then you would never. Aye. Now, uh, for his IMDb top four, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to look at it recently, but you want to hazard a guess at what his top four would be? Who framed Roger Rabbit? I reckon. Yep, number two. That's number one. And Mona Lisa there. That's number three. Uh, would it be Hook? It's Unleashed. Ah, alright, okay. Mm-hmm. And then it's the guy had done lots of films, but he's always just, like, his big pivotal ones you could probably count on one hand. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think I've, I've tried, I think it's obviously Unleashed. These two, yeah, like they go like, like there's five films that I've seen with Paul Hoskins, and I really, I think I'd be struggling to give five more that I've seen. Aye, and that's it. But he's, he, I think the reason why you remember him so much, he's actually, he was like such a loud character. Like, he's one of these people you see in a film and you probably would never forget him because he just, he's like a fucking, yeah. like, a human bulldog the way he acts in some of these films I've seen. Like he's, I was listening to the commentary for The Long Good Friday today and the director, uh, John Menzi, describes him as like a, a two de force. Like he's, he has all the range of emotions and he could fucking, for one scene, be deadpan, the next scene, be emotional, next one, like a fucking rocket going off. Like the guy could do it all. But he's just this loud, boisterous fucking ball of energy as well. I yeah, think it is, is when you see him... In movies, you tend to never forget him. The thing is, he obviously had a soft side as well because he done like a whole rake of uh, dramas. I mean, you look through it, it was like they just you'd think maybe like comparing them to like a Ray Winston, where everything's probably like a brick gangster mob movie. But Bob Hoskins' film- filmography is not really that at all. Yeah. But uh, anyway, should we start? Digging deep into our discussion. Ah, Okay. Yeah, let's go. So, The Long Good Friday from 1980. It is from director John McKenzie, writer Barry Keefe. And the film stars, obviously, Bob Hoskins as Harry, P.H. Moriarty as Razors, Helen Mirren as Victoria, Derek Thompson as Jeff, Dave King as Parkey, Brian Marshall as Harris, and Eddie Constantine as Charlie. Mike, what is the plot to The Long Good Friday? An East End gangster feels his empire crumble from beneath him while trying to strike a deal with a powerful American ally. So, Mike, was this your first time watching the movie? No, it's my second time. Well, I watched it obviously last... I, I watched the week before going to record then obviously... Work fucking got in the way, so then I, mm-hmm. I rewatched it uh, today on uh, YouTube. Actually, I had like 
Romanian subtitles or something. All right. So I just like rewatch it and just like wrote my notes and stuff. And I'm kind of glad I rewatched it because I, I think there was a couple of like minor like hands I kind of forgot about it. All ah, right, so it's kind of good to. And as this this film uh, is one of these ones that you, it pays off watching it two or three times because that opening credit sequence could be really confusing to begin with. Like in your first time watch about like these guys in the pub, and then there's like a cottage getting raided. And now, like, there's bodies, and there's a, a body being, uh, a coffin being brought back to London, and the woman spitting on fucking Charlie for casualty, and, like, what's going on? I didn't get anything that's going on here. Because we're seeing yeah. all this, but there's no context. There's, like, hardly any dialogue. It looks like two dudes were about to hook up at a pub, and then all of a sudden he gets fucking shoved in the back of a car, and now he's dead. It's just, like, one of these ones where, like, okay, I'm going to have to pay attention to this, because I don't know what the fuck is going on. I always find that a bit strange, like when they seen the. I mean, the first thing you kind of notice about the film is like that really kind of loud fucking like synth score they've got for it. Hmm. Like this. I just thought it was. Aye. Yeah. That. That. And it's it's kind of brilliant in a way, like when it fucking kicks in, like that scene where you first see a uh, Harry for the first time at the airport. Exactly. It's like like this big a fucking electric keyboard, somebody going absolute fucking daft on it. And it's just and it's like paired with like a saxophone as well. So it's just mm-hmm. that shot of Harry like marching through the fucking airport, latching behind him, kinda sets up his character perfectly, like, this is the boss. This guy here, he's the guy in charge. Like this his his theme music and I tell you, the fucking Arrow Blu-ray is just like that theme music with like the da 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 part like on loop, and I feel like the volume's doubled in comparison to the film. So that the fucking Blu-ray menu to the Arrow Blu-ray absolute fucking blows at the speakers on your telly. And it's like, ah, play the film. My TV is not gonna take it. <laughs> But it is, it's, uh, who was the guy that done the, uh, Francis Monkman was the guy that done the score. And when it, I had mm. a look at his uh, filmography, like also, I think he was primarily a musician who was in a few bands, but his scores uh, comes down to like five films or like TV specials and this. But it's just got that fucking brilliant sort of like electric, like a electric keyboard, sax, and you feel like you want to compare it to like almost like a like a horror carpenter esque like synthesizer score because it just it almost is like a like a Halloween score Cause uh, when it's in fucking full boom of like highlighting your main character when they do that for fucking Harry it just just fucking hits home that this is your main character and it's just a surprisingly epic score and it's one of these ones I could probably like I've heard it before but I cannot tell you if they're where but I feel like Hong Kong cinema used to rip so many uh, famous scores back in the day like all your westerns ended up getting reused in kung fu movies and I suppose there was this one famous kung fu movie that had the score to Star Wars in it just because hmm. they just fucking ripped everything from America so I wouldn't be surprised if I heard the score from a long Good Friday playing over some random fucking 80s Chalion fat movie. 
So, aye, in a nutshell, what did you think of the film? Um, I actually thought it was uh, quite solid. I quite enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, and that's it. I've only seen it th- three times myself. Um, I got sent it as like a review DVD from Arrow ages ago because that, that's been out on Blu-ray for a while now. And it was one I just never got around to watching. I was just like, at the stage where I was requesting everything and watching nothing. And then through lockdown, I was just going through my back catalogue of unwatched movies. And when watching this one, I was like, man, this is brilliant. Fucking Bob Hoskins. Like, it's great to discover more great Bob Hoskins movies. Because that's I've always got this fond memory of him being a great actor. And when you just find more of his fucking work. And it's brilliant. It just pays off. Uh, so to see him doing like his East End gangster role, full of fucking brilliant one-liners, and like he's a dark character, but he's always saying something like funny. There's like a a real dark humor to it. Like when his pal's mm. killed, and they're saying we're gonna have to like sneak the body out in an ice cream van, and it's oh that's like oh, there yeah. you go dignity uh, there riding it on a raspberry riffle. <laughs> just like, you feel like it's like the Cockney rhyming slang in him. And it's the amount of times he says the word verbals is just ah, it is it's a fucking easily one of the best characters he's played because he's been yeah. suited with like great dialogue. Then he's got like a great co-star in uh, Helen Mirren, who's known just like some uh, gangsters mall, who's just like the the bimbo at his side. She's like the brains. Ah, uh, she's quite uh, she's quite like sophisticated and quite, exactly. Uh, like she's like she's no she's no fucking type to pass eh? Exactly. She's actually real a really intelligent mm-hmm. character and he's just like the bit of rough where he could solve a problem one way but she could intelligently solve a problem a better way without resorting to violence and I think that's probably what the attraction was for him. Yeah. Because you get like that like the first like five minutes and when they're sitting on their uh, the like, boat and all that mm-hmm. and, like that. Oh, coming up with a wee plan for the, the American. Bloody, bloody, I think like the Bloody Marys and all that. And they're obviously like, talking about like Charlie coming in and stuff. And... Aye, he's telling her to posh it up because all those snooty Americans love it. Like all the, the well, the, the snooty British, like talk to them like they're shit. It's like you're fucking, you're playing like cricket with Queen Anne and all this nonsense. But yeah. It's the same where she's sitting talking about these 20 quid plates that she's bought. And there's oh yes, fucking Harry's broke two of them already. And it's just like, kind of highlighting like, he probably is like a bull in a china shop. Because you see him, like you, you see all the range of emotions. He gets hot-headed, uh, goes daft, and she's kind of there to be like the voice of reason. So obviously like one of the first things you kind of see in the film is there's a quite a recognisable face in swimming pool. Because oh, yeah. we realise one of Harry's uh, confidants, one of his uh, other cronies, seems to be this uh, homosexual character. I think it was Colin, wasn't it? His character ah, name. Colin. He was, the one that, uh, he was the one that was in the bar at the start. Yes. I chatting up the guy that disappeared. And then now yeah. he's at the swimming pool. And he's getting the eye from... A fucking young uh, Pierce Brosnan, which I, th- I think they mentioned it was like his first role 
Uh, you could tell because like one they don't give him really any lines and two it looks like he's still got his original teeth Mm. but it just looks like he's in it must be like in his early 20s and obviously the character Colin's looking like he's led to the shower room so he's kind of expecting like uh, could you say some uh, some sort of stabbing but he gets a very different type of stabbing in the showers uh. <laughs> I could hear Andy groaning for weems, <laughs> but yes, I he he gets fucking knifed in the showers, and yeah. it's just kind of starting this this. Uh, I was gonna say full scale war, but it's not. It's kind of like a drip fed uh, war between this mystery party and Harry's, oh Harold's gang. Because the fucking car bomb doesn't go off until I get ten minutes into the film. Ah, and as I know, it's his brother Eric. Yeah, and it's just the way that, like the fucking the way that Bob Hoskins delivers it, and like car bomb. What happened? You were having a car bomb, and he's like, you don't need a fucking million dollar computer. And it was just the dialogue is fucking brilliant. I reckon if it, like uh, Bob Hoskins ad libbed any. But it, the way he delivers it, it's just so smooth and natural. It just, I think, if he comes across, I wonder if like he done like theatre work because I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if Bob Hoskins did like the West End and things like that. Yeah, but he's. I mean, like, like the character you get with, yeah, like Harold obviously he's been kind of running London for like a couple of years and stuff. With obviously he's like. Colin, he's got uh, Jeff. It's like he's got who's the other boy that Parky. Oh, aye, the I cop. Think, uh, he's aye. aye, aye. He's got someone he's, like that's he's, it. He's like the postman. It's on the take a wee bit. Eh? Exactly. So he's got like all he, the connections. Yeah. And then he's got Paul Razors. Did you know? Did you recognise uh, who Razors was? No, not. Not. Uh, like I like how I don't really recognise him as much enough. When I first watched it, and then when I was reading through like IMDb last week, mm-hmm. I noticed he was a um, oh, he was a guy that fucking Eddie played poker with and they lost stuff into some barrels. Ah, he was like the head, the head guy. I could fucking see it now. To, yeah, yeah, because he got that scar on his eye. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's who that was. Ah, that's cool. But I love like the fact that there is a character called Razors and they're like, why? And they're like, look at him, he's all fucking carved up. Big scar across his pass. <laughs> and then that scene with Errol later on where he pulls up his shirt uh, and it's all the fucking stitches across his stomach. <sighs> now, obviously, talking about um, like East End gangster movies and we're talking about Bob Hoskins, I was trying to think, like, I was when I was writing my notes, I was saying... Fucking Bob Hoskins is like the ultimate East End gangster, but when you think about it, I guess he's probably edged out by Ray Winstone, eh? Yeah. I feel I... he's kind of typecast more as like your East End gangster more often than Bob Hoskins has. And obviously this kind of I... led to our discussion earlier this week about uh, Sexy Beast. And how I've, I've went and bought that and I plan on watching it, kind of just continuing this kick of East End gang movies. Yeah. But, I... Michael Ray Winston's been in fucking a lot 
wanted for him. Exactly. Then obviously he was in. What's the prison was movie? Fucking... Where it like that was his breakout role? Was it Scum? Aye, for the seventies. Uh... Aye, and then obviously I could just keep thinking of him and Tom Hardy doing that Sweeney movie, but he's also the. The guy you'd see in the Sainsbury straight to DVD action movies, half the times Ray Winston pops up in those as well. Oh, he was in another fucking like a a low budget British gangster film with Robert Carlyle in the nineties again. It was not much a gangster film; it's more like a robbery film. Mm. And I can't mean to fucking name it for my life for the life of me, but I remember like him and Robert Carlyle was in it, but. But you'll definitely need to watch Sexy Beast of the Sexy Beast is just fucking It's quite a different like gangster film, eh? Mm. And and like fucking uh, Ben Kingsley it's like absolutely fucking terrifying in it. Aye. Oh, I look forward to it. But, it was one of these things where I'd seen it and I never bothered buying it and then you mentioned about how good it was and like fuck. And I went past the store twice to fucking get it and the first time I got there was the place was still shut, so I had to go back later in the day. And it's like, fuck, there's every chance it's going to be gone now, but it was still there. <sighs> um, but I, when things all start kicking off and Harry's trying to try and figure out like what's happening, who is this mystery partner, well, party, and it's great because they keep it a mystery for a long fucking time. Uh, it's no until yeah. like this fucking pub blows up right in front of them which is like a brilliant shot of them just driving into the frame and as the car stops it's all the fucking rubble and debris banging off the, the windshields just as yeah. they're fucking what and was also it? they're trying to then blame the, the gas means because they're trying to obviously know like the I know um, it like Charlie and all that I let him find it somebody's that. trying to fuck, fuck a bit with them eh? I make a move on them but <clears throat> That's it. It's a, of all the days, and it's great because it it is over the course of one day that this happens. It's not like it's kind of like the course of a week. It's just the long Good Friday. Um, yeah. And I think they mentioned that the film went with a different title to begin with, but it was one of these ones that just gave away the story entirely. Yeah. And they can, uh, did you do trivia for this episode? Uh, I don't know, yeah, I've got extra notes there, but I did read that they were going with different like titles and all that. Aye, I think felt that the the original Long Friday was Yeah, they they changed that as the working title and it grew on them, but I think the original name of the script was called The Paddy Factor. Ah, the Paddy Factor, that's what it is. <laughs> and it seems stupid, but it also clearly gives away that it's the Irish. Like the IRA uh, that's fucking with them. So it's the fact that they, they hold it back so long is, I thought, like really lent itself to the movie because the, it isn't too obvious. But when he goes to like the the pub after it being blown up and he's sitting questioning like his pal that works there, who was it? And he's just describing it. Like, it was two big mechs, and it's like, Mick, what the Irish want? And of course, Harry's just in the fucking dark because it's his wee pal on the side, Jeff. That's been doing all these wee side operations. And Jeff's like one of the, like, we may as well move our conversation to him now because he is this kind of great character where if you watch it again, you do kind of see 
like if you if you watch it again, you particularly pay attention to Jeff. He is a lot more shadier in scenes than you expect. Like the the ones where they're in yeah. the pub after it got blown up, and they're sitting talking, and his eyes are all over the shop. He can't look at anything. Like you're doing anything to avoid Harry's gaze, and then, of course, later on where you have that there's like a counselor they've got under under their payroll as well. Remember at the very start when uh, Jeff was exchanging plans with a guy and the widow spits oh, on him? Oh, uh, Harris. Yes, I, Harris. And there's a mm. moment where fucking Harris is going daft at Jeff, saying, Harry, he's, like, you're the real bastard, Jeff. You're the bastard. Like, everyone knows about this deal with the Irish, uh, apart from fucking Harold. So when that fucking reveal comes halfway through the film, it's brilliant because it just it blows Harold's mind. Yeah, because when I when I rewatched it today, like obviously I understood why the woman spat in Jess' face at the start of the cafe. Yes, no, and I, like like you, you never really took like paid too much attention to that when like watching it the first time. Mm-hmm. But obviously. Like, it's me and noticeable when you when I watch it there. Like, you kinda noticed like you were saying Mary Shady Dealings and all that and like obviously ah. like the scene when when like what's the name of Victoria was at the restaurant with Charlie and all like after the bombing. Aye. And like Harris was fucking steaming trying to fucking see was spilling everything. Aye. And you can see Victoria was also getting pissed off and all that and then Jeff drives at him and he's in that lift. Oh, like, that, that one-liner. Where, yeah, what is it? Yeah. I want to lick every inch of you. And it's like, oh, shit, yeah. fucker. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, it's like, see, is he the fucking, see the bad one here? Ah, he's see dirty as it's fuck. Like being in a double-crossing. Aye, because that's it. He's already, like, given the chance. It's like you would fucking kill Harold and take over the Empire. He's already, like, hinting to make moves at his woman. He's fucking making money behind his back. But, aye. Helen Miller was really good in it. We've mentioned that already, but just, like, how, how laid back she is. And there's, like, those scenes where... Because they have a fucking, like, an argument in the middle of it. Because, obviously, tensions is, is high between uh, Harold and the fucking IRA and then when he has to come home to Victoria and she's fucking terrified of what's going on like they can't go to places without the threat of like either it's either gonna get fucking blown up or you're gonna get kidnapped and just fucking Harold's like he literally is a man on the edge now one of the scenes I I did like was when they were trying to because obviously they piece the story together bit by bit and they go with like the word of mouth like the informants. So was it Parky that gave up um Errol to them? And it, it's just this dude which is like he looked familiar but I couldn't he fucking put the uh, finger on it and it wasn't until I was listening to the audio commentary of the day that the guy mentions Errol is the dude from Full Monte. Um I think the oh, the, yeah, the black yeah. guy the nicknamed Horse <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, they're right. I was sitting looking at him and I was like, man, was he in Red Dwarf? But no, this dude was in the full fucking Monty. 
and it was up to the same shenanigans in this one and it was the way fucking Harold was talking just like oh look at this and he was making jokes about pricks and he was fucking looking at the junkie needles and it was the oh, fact aye, the prosy. aye and it was the fact that when they go to torture him for information they get that big fucking machete and start carving fucking slicing his ass cheeks and the guy's <laughs> fucking screaming it's like no I don't fucking know and they're just sitting hacking at him for fucking information and that was the point where they kind of give away that Charlie was gay and he would be going to these places hooking up with guys but oh that was yeah. it was when he comes out you get to see Mind is like all these kids fucking sitting on uh, Harold's car. Oh, yeah, and he, like, he pays them like a tenner or something. Like ah, it's like, there you go, go get pissed. <laughs> and it's the little kid, the main one, like they cry, they're like, oh, little acorns and what they grow into, blah, blah, blah. And the little kid that he gives the money to is Dexter Fletcher. I never even fucking noticed that. Seven <laughs> years old, Dexter Fletcher. And of course, fucking went on to do, well, as you said yourself, lock, stock and two smoking barrels with fucking Razor and uh. went on to fucking, <laughs> was it, direct a Rocket Man and a whole fucking Ray uh, of British films. Man, yeah. He's, the guy is huge. But he didn't, he, like, you could see the face, but you just assume, ah, it's just kind of a kid where we, like, rat featured face. But the fucking director said it himself, it was a seven year old Dexter Fletcher. I was like, fucking hell, that's brilliant. I didn't even notice that, eh? Yeah, I, but I did, I like that, where just kids are sitting and say, oh, I looked after your car for you. <laughs> I did like Harry's vision, because obviously he, he's wanting to kind of bring London forward into kind of like this modern age. Like, how London now is, is all fucking high buildings, it's all expensive fucking property. But back then, it's like where... <sighs> He's in uh, Errol's neighbourhood. And at first I thought it was almost like a race, a racial thing, because it was like all like black families. And I kept saying that, oh, this used to be a really good area. And I kind of thought, oh, man, the guy's a bit of a racist. But he was just talking about how all these people are living in such a deprived area. Like, these people deserve better than this. Not fucking dog shit on your doorstep. And it's just all part of his vision how he really wants to build a better London. And also he's just fucking relying on these connections with the Americans to fucking make it so. So I kind of thought that was like a wee interesting bit because at first I really thought it was just kind of being disparaging to like the the fucking black dude that was working on his car and he wasn't giving him any information so he about fucking ends him by... Kicking the jack out for the wheel. Ah, kicking the jack away. Ah. What did it say to him? What did it say to him? He doesn't like folk looking up at his nose or something when he's talking to him or something. Aye, aye. So that's why he fucking kicked it. And, uh, what, what, what I quite liked about uh, Bob Wilson's is like rolling it as like he changes it, like as the film goes on, he goes through like so many emotions and he's no, it's not quite the like, like the loose cannon like fucking. Gangster, and he's quite reserved, and he's got, he's got a plan and a, yeah, a fucking like reputation to keep and all that. And he's obviously just trying to, like, do this all to try and keep fucking Charlie sweet and all that. Aye, but that's, that's it if he could get crumbling away from him as well. Eh? Mm-hmm. That's it if he's like, if he's just able to get through that fucking weekend, and obviously, 
he's wanting to kind of get the like seal the deal with Charlie, but the man's so reserved. He kept telling him like, it's not a fucking horse race. Just let's take things mm. like let's do it to my time and. And he's just like, oh man, this old codger's just fucking dragging his heels. Come on, let's get it going. But when he starts seeing all this fucking shit going down, like especially Aye, that was Charlie, no there, doesn't like, like Charlie, like never he's no daft. The whole, like, gas main and all that. Yeah, but it's that great scene where they end up in like the cold storage factory. Ah, uh, yeah. With all the fucking, all the fucking, uh, all the meat hanging for the fucking ceiling and then they've got all those fucking guys hanging from the ceiling as well and they're loading them in on the same track and you get that brilliant shot where it's all said they've hung the cameraman upside down so they could just pull him across the factory floor on the same fucking wee hurricane gurney but it's just that great shot of him just like looking around then he like looks up so you can see his feet hanging for the hook and they're just trying to get information from him and Jeff shows up dressed like fucking John McCrerick. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you, that's kind of where you get like the wee ah, thing like fucking like like, like everything's going to be spilled and all that here like like fucking Jeff's going to be found out and that's why he decides He snaps fucking... and matters fuck out the boy hanging upside down. Uh, ah, he does. He turns into fucking Rocky and starts going to town on his fucking ribs. Just absolutely destroying uh, this one boy. Just because he was about to fucking speak. But it's the same shot where you get um, Parky showing up with more information. And fucking uh, Harold gets him with that slap to the face. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, that was a fucking... Uh, the dude's reaction. It was, almost like, it was almost like a slap that you see, like, you take a glove off and you just slap him across the face. Aye, and the dude is absolutely... Like. The dude is absolutely stunned by it. Because they're just like, what the fuck? Like, he just, like, Got fucking made him snap out of it. It's like the guy's working for the police, but it's like nay skin off uh, Harold's nose. Like he's no scared of like slapping a fucking police officer in the face. It was... But it was just kind of great showing like the character's been pushed this far. Like he doesn't matter who you fucking offends now. What whose toes he steps on. Yeah, and then it's also kind of close the like the neck kind of closes in on fucking death when um. I think he gets found in the, the garage upstairs. Oh, like, yeah. Fucking, when he's all, like, fucking, like, pinned to the ground. Crucified. Aye. Uh, and then that's when Victoria kind of asks that, like, it's always something like, close to him. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he finds out about fucking, like, Jeff and all that. Aye. And, I mean, that conf- confrontation scene on the boat is Aye. just fucking mental because you're just thinking right we've got to go into it calm and then Jeff just has like no respect for for Harold at all and they're just talking to him like he's a piece of shit and he snaps like the, the shot with the like, the bottle was like a bottle of whiskey smashes and you just think okay he's smashing it but there's no hesitation he just fucking lunges right for his neck and there's that fantastic shot because at first it's just the wait, sound wait, you just wait. hear the like the stabbing sound and uh, they, then they it's him it. lying there and the fucking blood the fucking squib just come and he's just lying there like 
fucking paralyzed. He doesn't know what to do, and the blood's pouring out, and it's just only then that fucking Harold realizes what he's done. Yeah, and but then he realizes that also like Harris is kind of in on it as well. Yeah, and there's a, I actually love some of the the cinematography choices or camera choices for this film because that shot of him coming out of the boat where it's like this high angle and it's just like this one camera following him out of the boat and it kind of goes up and over him and it's like kind of over the shoulder perspective as he walks across to um, Victoria and I think it was Razors but he's fucking soaked in blood and he's just kind of like the Hulk, he's in like this mad rage and he doesn't come out of it until he mm. fucking gets to Victoria and he just fucking... Aye, kind of, he's kind of got that look of like, remorse and like... Aye, and just fucking yeah. breaks down because that's like, he just snaps and just butchered what it, like his best pal. But, oh, it was, it was good to watch. <laughs> I guess I never fucking, like, like when I watched it last week, like, I never even noticed... That it was fucking Charlie for casualty that played Jeff until Aye. Like I was on IMDb after it. I didn't even fucking recognize know, that, or the name when it came up in the credits. And that blew my mind and then every shot when you just say was up, oh, it's 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 fucking Charlie boy with fucking curly brown hair. He's and I just thought if he lived like if this if, if movies was the real world, like he lived and went into witness protection and now he's a doctor. <laughs> maybe with a giant fucking scar on his neck which you can't quite explain but <laughs> aye and it was it's just like one of these British actors that I, like of course he was a working actor he was never just always in casually but it's brilliant yeah. to kind of see them pop up in other things like Pierce Brosnan like Dexter Fletcher <laughs> yeah I would say that like, I did enjoy like the last like, up like for the bit when he found he went to Jeff at that last like, 20, 25 minutes, whatever, was just fucking like superb. Mm-hmm. Like, right up until like, the very end, because obviously he then wants to kind you know, of double cross fucking Harris and that and takes him to the, to, like, the fucking, like, the, the, like, the fucking. It was like there's some racetrack, like a destruction derby. Aye. Uh, going about the, the fucking yeah. cars trashing them, but. Um, Aye, for some reason, like that was their IRA meeting, and the fucking the local leader of the IRA is in the fucking race, and it was it's a strange how is it right we're gonna we're gonna settle this I've got what was it like sixty thousand pounds or something, yeah to try and like right let's just cancel this out, and then they do the fucking flip and just decide to fucking off them. Mm. It was like a, a like a surprising twist. Whereas, like, fuck it. And it was, like, Harry was so fucking cool and calm going into it. And it's just because he knew yeah, he had the fucking plan. Aye, because Harris was done, the fucking Irish was done, and then he tried to then decide, fuck it, I'll try and sort out Charlie before he fucking goes. Mm-hmm. And there's that great and scene. And it's like that, it's like, like that interesting like, dialogue between them, eh, because... Aye, because like, 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 that's it. He's like he was kind of there to like smooth things over. Say we're all good. Don't worry, we're fine. We're fine. And then and sees them packing their suitcases, and he's like right away. He's like, all right. Fuck it. I never needed you. We're going with the Germans. Yeah, the fucking Krauts. And 
It's the other guy who was like, come on, we know you can handle like situation. And he's like, shut up, you paralyzed piece of... Or streak of piss. <laughs> and it's like, oh! Just, the, the one-liners are brilliant that he fucking drops in this movie. But, yeah, I think it's because almost, I think that was him pretty much like at the edge. Was, exactly. And there was nothing, there was nothing there that he could fucking do. Aye, because it was like, you're, you, you were either with him or fuck you, you're against me. And he didn't give a fuck if he was like, well, fine, go, I didn't need you anyway. But uh, the conclusion, which I feel is, when the first time I watched it, I was a wee bit weary. Second time I watched it, I kind of felt like it was over long. But Christ, watching it today and understanding it more, it's, I think it's a brilliant ending to the film, where uh, obviously he gets back into the car. And then the car just jolts and fucking takes off. And he's like, what? Wait, where's Victoria? And there's that and brilliant that shot. Exactly. The fucking, the theme kicks in. It's just the score building up. And his wife's gone. And you just see her in a passing car, screaming in desperation, clawing, trying to get out of the car. And someone's got her. And there's fucking Pierce Brosnan. 007 pops up in the front seat. <laughs> Silence pistol. Like. Exactly. With a wee bit of chuggy going... And it just and he just knows he's done, and and it's just it's such a like a prolonged because that like that scene goes on for about two three minutes. It feels like yeah, it probably might have uh, just been like sixty just, like, seconds, like, but it felt like it, minutes. It kind of just um, like it shows like every emotion that fucking like Harold goes through. Then and it like, really he's, does. He's, also, he's, he's angry. He's fucking surprised. He's actually and then it's like, like that acceptance. He, yeah, aye, he kind of like admits defeat. Like he accepts it, that's fucking, like that's it, that's it, I'm done it. That's it, he's not bigger than the IRA. Because it kind of thought, right, I've managed to kill them myself. That's it, fucking one for Harry, we're all good, let's go to the pub and celebrate, but no. And it is, it's strange, well it's not strange, it's, it's great because he's in the back of the car, there's no dialogue, it's just the theme Fucking turned up to 11, saxophone, going daft, and it's just his eyes moving around. You can see the thought process. You could actually see what's going through in his head. Like, he's looking like, could I escape this? Could I take these guys on? What about her? And then he's like, well, fuck, I'm done. There's nothing I can do. I, like, I cannot get out of this fucking situation. And it's just kind of like where he starts doing like, the deep breaths, like you're breathing through his teeth. Where it's just like the rage is starting to settle down. And it's like, I'm fucked. I'm fucking fucked. And it's all nothing. There's no dialogue at all. It's just his eyes. It's just... I know. You could... And it kind of just leaves you on that. Aye, and it just goes... Light, like... Aye, like the cliffhanger. Just when like, you cut. killed with, you know... Exactly. And it's just that shot uh fucking Pierce Brosnan just chewing his gum. Just like kind of looking at him. like, you're going nowhere, pal. It's over. End of the line. I it is an impressive ending. Yeah. Now, did you have trivia about who was driving the car? No, I never ever. Oh, that's that's fine. I I didn't want to take your trivia notes away from you, but the dude driving the car was actually the director, uh, John McKenzie. All right. Yeah. So. 
They explained. Oh no! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I I did I did read something like the shot. Like this is this is this isn't Emma Tribunal. This was part of the Tribunal. So reading was that they shot that scene first, mm-hmm. and they basically told uh, Bob that they were going to pay the camera on him in that car for five minutes straight at least. Mm-hmm. And that, and he wasn't to say a word or anything. He was just trying to, to like go through the motions and all that. Aye. That's, I think they were saying that John McKenzie was driving, but he was talking him through, saying, right, you're thinking about uh, going for the gun. Okay, no, you're thinking about going out the car. Oh, you're thinking about Victoria now. You're uh, thinking about this, right? You're thinking I about... I that there was like... And it, it makes sense because you could tell, like, it works. You could see all the emotions going across in Bob Hoskins' face where he's just trying to figure yeah. what chance to have in this situation. And it's... Zero. You've got no chance of getting yeah. out of this. But, and another thing that technically makes a lot of sense was Pierce Brosnan and obviously uh, Bob Hoskins, their scenes obviously they're shot across from each other. They're saying it was two separate journeys. It's like Bob Hoskins and Pierce Brosnan never actually met on the set of the film. Just because, I guess, for the thought of, well, by the time you're squeezing a cameraman, lighting, sound, you can't even fucking fit that many fuck in a car. So it makes sense just to have uh, one shot on Pierce Brodsnan driving around and then another shot of just Harry sat in the back seat himself. But it is it's one of these endings where it gets more impressive every time I watch it. Yeah, I'm thinking like obviously if I get paid like next week and I'm kind of going to, because I can arrow's doing this 2 for 15, I might. Have a wee look and see if it's in the two for fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be a two yeah, disc Blu-ray as well. Mm-hmm. I, I only ended up getting one disc from them, but I could swear it, it had two at some point. I know they released when they released like the limited edition. It was like it was paired with like Mona Lisa. All ah, right, in a box set. That would be yeah. a, that's like it is a good double was, bill. That's why was, we're doing it on our podcast. It was in like a. It was in a, a brown, not a brown, a kind of orange box. Hmm. Oh, I with Bob like a silhouette of Bob Hoskins like in black or something. Aye, yeah. yeah, I know which one you're talking about now. But that that is actually a good pair. If I, I would probably buy that if I saw it in store. Um, but it does have a great the Arrow Blu-ray does have like a one-hour documentary where mm-hmm. it's a lot of archive footage because Bob Hoskins, Helen Mirren, uh, even the audio commentary he talks about it being the twenty-year anniversary. So. All of these special features must have been all from like the year two thousand. Ah, see, I was when I watched it on YouTube the day like oh, like after it all, all got was like recommended videos and it was like a doc like a, a forty minute documentary from like BBC Four and all that and it was like talking about like, the twentieth anniversary. Possibly, but it was actually it was a good um, documentary and there was there's many features I just never got around to watching them, but. Yeah. Um, now, we've kind of spoke highly of this film. Is there any really parts of the movie that you you didn't like? Anything that came across odds or just didn't care for? No, I would wouldn't say really. Anyway, I think every every kind of scene kind of serves the purpose. I mean, like I I would have loved it if I had a bit more like Pierce Brosnan, but you understand why he wasn't in the film as much. Yeah. 
Now, say, it was used yeah. sparingly, but when he does pop up, you know exactly what reason he's there yeah. for. Like, some cunt's going to get killed. you kind of forget that he was there at the start, and he wasn't like a, a main player at the start. Ah, exactly. Really there was, like, no just roles. A, just a fucking a general thug, eh? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he appears in there with a smug look in his face, and you're thinking, ah, that's why, Aye. That's why he's done it. And another note I'd written, I had written notes down prior to watching the film. One of them was, has it aged well? And really, there's nothing about this film that I would say have aged badly. Nah. It's not like when you watch a film new and Kevin Spacey pops up and you go, oi ve. Or when you see a fucking Weinstein <laughs> logo at the start of a movie. I think everyone in this film is still <laughs> relatively good guys. What year did Bob Hoskins die again? I can't mind. Oh, I feel maybe like 2017 or it was a wee bit earlier. Um, Bob Hoskins. It. 2014. Ah, it has been a wee while. Oh, wait, I'm so glad we looked it up because there's one absolute stutter of a film we've never mentioned yet. I'd be glad that we can't do this episode without mentioning Super Mario Bros. Oh my fucking god, why did I not think of that? (laughs) Of all the things, that. That. I mean, it's, it's a bad film, but like, I, 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 could, I, I could sit and watch it. Mm. I could sit and watch it and I could not grumble at it. I can have a fucking fun time. I remember like getting that as a kid. Film, like, but it's just... It was like, I had I remember, to see that as a child. You see it like the Sky Monthly magazine. Mm-hmm. And it used to like, give you like, like the monthly fixtures. I mean, when Super Mario Bros. went on Sky... And my dad told me, and I was absolutely fucking buzzing. Mm-hmm. Well, that was it. Yeah, Is it sure n- that in the days 1993, so maybe 94. Oh. So we would have been just going oh. at like 9, going on 10, like the fucking perfect age for a Super Mario <sighs> Brothers movie. Dennis There's... Hopper as well. I... <laughs> Dennis <laughs> Hopper as like, Bowser. Cooper, like, you didn't want, but... But it's fucking, oh man, mm-hmm. it's so good. But, so, uh, I don't know fucking think of that. I know. Actually, I know that, I never thought of that. That's probably my favourite Bobberson song. <laughs> and it is, it's an absolute... <laughs> and I would die on that hill. <laughs> oh shit, okay, I'm so glad I looked that up now. Um, okay. Oh, but yeah, I, uh, The Long Good Friday is an easily rewatchable film. I think our audience could tell it comes highly recommended from us. Uh, do you have any final notes on it? Um, I've got three trivia notes here for it. Awesome. Yeah. Let's go for a trivia. Uh, so, Bob received a fan letter from one of the Cray brothers. At the time, I can't remember. I never wrote it down. I can't remember if it was Roni or Reggie who wrote it. Mm-hmm. But it was basically a letter like, like commending him for the role and, all that, and saying that he thought his role was fucking brilliant and basically like everything that you put in the performance was everything that a British gangster is and stuff like that aye uh, originally I write fucking like during like the like the studios wanted like Bob's like dialogue dubbed there by like a guy through Wolverhampton aye I heard that so that like so that like Americans can like understand it folk can understand it better and like what he, uh, he refused it said he was going to like sue the studios yeah and they got him um, back in from 
like say Alec Guinness and Mike McCain and all that bloody it. Mm-hmm. And the last bit of trivia was that in 1983 they announced the sequel. Oh, right, I think I'd seen like that. It was going to show you Harold getting rescued for the IRA. Mm-hmm. It would be... But I never... It never, it never happened. Aye. It almost sounds like a bit of a stretch. Where yeah. it would probably end up being a half decent film, but as as good as became one of these films that it got left there. See see I think I think if they done a sequel, right, and they can they like manage to like rescue Harry at the start, I reckon that probably would have hurt the ending, like overall. because that's it. You're... Like that's can you like like the interpretation that fuck that's it has been done, it's been caught. There's nothing that you can do is accept the fact that the IRA's got him. Yeah. It's not like nowadays well it made big at the box office, so he lives. Yeah. It's kinda of like that shot in Casino where De Niro gets in the car and it blows up. And like at the start of the film you could tell he's fucking toast. And then when it happens yeah. halfway through the film he fucking manages to dive out <laughs> as the fucking seat goes on fire. Oh man, do you remember uh, do you remember when like National Lampoon done like the Mafia spoof films? Oh and they were spoofing the casino and at the start of it a guy got blown up and like they and they show you like later on the guy's build at a funeral and all that and he's like just he looks like fucking pizza. <laughs> like his face is all hanging off and oh, all Jesus. Like to try to play like Bob De Niro there, but Aye. Ugh. That's what I was thinking, lad. Like, fucking, I wonder if we would have got like a director's cut of this, kind of an extended version. Like, it's just like the ending's twenty minutes longer, but it's just the camera focusing on Bob again. <laughs> They're sitting there, going around, going around, and Bob eventually right, said, "Oh, and getting that different kind of stabbing in the fucking showers." <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! I, I could just imagine it now, just Harry in the back of the car, and he eventually said, "No, oh, you need to take the next left." He eventually gives the guy directions, they're just stuck on a roundabout. That's why yeah. he's so anxious, he keeps missing the fucking exit. Oh, for fuck's sake, that could have been us. Oh, come on! <laughs> anyway, uh, let's take a short break and mosey on over to our discussion of Mona Lisa. Welcome back to our second half of our Bob Hoskins double bill. Tonight we're going to be discussing Neil Jordan's Mona Lisa. Now, this was one of these films that I knew absolute sweet fuck all about um, maybe like three years ago until Arrow announced Mm -hmm. that they were releasing it on Blu-ray and I was just kind of curious enough to request like a review copy. And it was like one of these things where I just fucking blew my socks off. I was like really surprised with this film. But uh, I'm curious for you, Mike, was this the first time you've ever watched uh, it? This was a, a, a first time watch. Yeah. and For me. I think in what possessed me, but I think I must have gave away the, the Blu-ray like, in one of our random Twitter competitions, but I kind of wish I held on to it, especially when it came around time to reviewing it. We were quite lucky to find it on yeah. the, the, the all four website. 
No. Yeah. <laughs> did did yours get interrupted like every fucking fifteen minutes with adverts? Aye, aye, aye. I, I, you're just that like, used to fucking watching stuff like streaming, uh, without being interrupted with adverts like with Sky and Netflix and Amazon yeah. Prime, like just the fact that all four the Channel Four app just blatantly stops like every twenty minutes. You have to sit through two mm-hmm. minutes of adverts. Is it right? I know the uh, Last of Us is coming out. Kind of fast forward there. Yeah, I'd kind of hooked it into the TV anyway, so I just let it play. But it was always it's not like in TV where they find a good like in between scenes to switch to the adverts. It's like they're halfway driving down the fucking road and then it, the film just cuts out. Ah, uh, I know. There was a scene where like there's literally just walking into like the hotel. And, like, and it goes, and nope. So I didn't like mid-sentence. And now it's a fucking and advert for Lynx it. Africa. Hmm. Alright, so anyway, uh, let's get back to the beginning of our notes for this one. So, Mona Lisa from director Neil Jordan. Some of his notable directing credits include films such as The Crying Game, The Brave One. That's, that's your... Uh, is it Jodie Foster one? Oh, is that like jo- is that Jodie Foster? I think like a vigilante one. Yeah, uh, Interview that. with a Vampire, and Neil's still knocking at films today. He was uh, a few years ago. He directed the film Greta with Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh, I watched that last year. It was alright, wasn't it? Yeah, fucking amazing. It was one of these ones where it's like, ah, I got most of the story at the trailer. Including the yeah. twist, but it was like a frantic ninety minutes from what I can remember. Yeah. So it's funny to see like Christ, is, this is the guy behind these films. Um, but you realise Mona Lisa was like one of his first three films, so it's, it was kind of just him finding his footing almost. But the film stars Bob Hoskins as George, Kathy Tyson as Simone. Michael Caine as Mortwell, Robbie Coltrane as Thomas, Clark Peters as Anderson, and Kate Hardy as Kathy. So, Mike, as we said, this was your first watch of the movie. Uh, what did you think of it? Um, it was all right. It was. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Huh? Because I read, I read the plot synopsis on like, all four, and I, and I, I thought maybe it would have been a, a, a proper like. Gritty, fucking gangsterish. Like, ah, like, like almost like like a long good Friday. Yeah, like I've like I hadn't seen that either like when I watched it like, the other week. But um, like fucking, I wasn't I wasn't expecting like a kind like, like a drama sort of thing. Eh? Aye, I it was, it was definitely whilst it covers a lot of dark subjects, it's definitely like a lighter tone to it. It's almost like a film you could uh, kind of imagine kind of like your mum watching where there's there's redeeming qualities mm. in characters but there's it's in such a dark setting or surrounding aye. Aye. like the the fucking channel 4 website had it as a pg and in the first 2 minutes you've got fucking bob hoskins flipping his lid at his ex-wife swearing at all the uh, black people around and it's like fuck you fuck you and it's like <laughs> what what part of this is a pg channel for it's like oh it's old they can do what they want it's old but 
Um, I fucking kind of love this film. They're just, they're just such a pleasant surprise. And I think if it's just because it's a great wee film for Bob Hoskins, where he, he just seems so uncomfortable at times. But there's this great mm-hmm. redeeming quality between the relationship between his character, George, and Kathy Tyson's character, Simone, where they're looking out for each other almost. Where, sure, he's kind of this this fucking um, driver slash bodyguard who's there looking out for her best interest and just trying to do a bit of decent work. And she's also sees that he's, he's kind of a little bit simple. So she's trying to look out for him as well. Because he, he's no he's no the brightest, but uh, and it's also one of these films where there's these great like surrounding actors as well. Like Michael Caine's a real cunt in this one, and it's like, oh, it's not mm-hmm. often that you get like Michael Caine playing like a like a good villain role. Not that I could think of off the top of my head, but he always ends up usually being comedic relief or like a good guy or just, but never kind of this. This proper Aye. sleazy bastard that he turns out to be in this film. Aye. And another fucking pleasant surprise to this film is uh, Robbie Coltrane. Aye. I thought he was uh, he was pretty good in that Aye. He's just this quirky fucking character that seems to live in his garage, fucking sleeps in his... Reads, reads fucking detective novels and all that. Aye, and makes oh, like, all this useless like, tap. Like, aye. Like, what was it? When they first went there, it was like all these plastic spag ball things. Aye. Where it just kind of looks like these frozen dishes of fucking pasta bolognese with forks stuck in them. And George is looking at it going, what the fuck is this? And later on, he's got the fucking Jesus nightlights. And there was like a moment where I did he not swear and turn around and fucking apologize to the nightlight. And I was like, it's, it's just some useless tat. Like, what? There's this tasteless crap that he's got, but is that? And he's working on his wee fucking uh, crime novels about the horse. And it was like one of his characters where it's like, oh, this, he's like a great bit of like comedic relief where it kind of cuts back to him and he's just this dead down to earth. Like the moment where George brings home the the fucking porn tape with Simone in it, and he's sitting watching it kind of in disbelief, and then Tommy walks in and it just says, "Channel Four, is it?" Like I just fucking <laughs> properly laughed out loud at that. It just, I reckon it just fucking makes me want to fucking watch it. Nuns on the Run again. Ah, uh, Nuns on the Run. Listen, <laughs> that phone. I could yes. hear the music in my head of them fucking running down the street, but or I'm pretty sure was it not like Robbie Coltrane sitting dressed as like the mother, the the, the nun sat in the shower room, and of course it, it's just like that film of the eighties where the camera's just shot it's at chest level in a steamy shower room, and it's just sea of of women walking. He's just sitting there praying quietly with a big fucking Cheshire cat grin on his face. Uh. <laughs> like I don't even can. I've never seen that film on fucking DVD, let alone Blu-ray. I might have to fucking find a VHS of it. Uh, I fucking find it in the bargain bin of a charity shop. <laughs> when the real am I? <laughs> when they exist again? Where else am I gonna get my fucking 
five for a pound DVDs and uh, I'm trying jigsaws with bits I'm missing. Trying to think of like fucking, trying to think of like what else I've seen Robico training because he was in obviously he was in Harry Potter and that. Yeah. But like, he had a role in a, one of the Bond films with Pierce Brosnan. Oh yes, aye, he was a contact, uh, wasn't he? I'm sh- uh, I'm sure he put. I'm sure it was a Russian contact as well. Like, I told you, mm-hmm. and that's he's done a fucking Russian slash Scottish accent. <laughs> he's done a whole rake of uh, TV as well. He was in Fraser quite a lot as like one of Daphne's cousins for Manchester, and he was the one that spoke too fast that nobody could understand what he was saying. Uh but um, let's let's focus on George for a minute, Bob Hoskins. Um. I love how early on when he kind of gets sort of like adopted by Simone and she gives him some money to kind of to look the part and it's like a reverse pretty woman. The prosy gives him <sighs> the money to tar himself up. And his first attempt, he's in that fucking bright tan jacket, the Hawaiian shirt underneath. Aye, with fucking with a chain. And she's like, aye, all you're missing is the gold medallion. And he fucking pulls it out like so happy. He's like, oh, like these. It's like, oh yeah, cunt, you are a stereotype. And he's like all fucking downtrodden. He's like, oh, I thought I thought I was good. I thought I looked the part. <laughs> like, you look like a tit. And I was like, the, like, like the first like the first night of like, meeting someone, because obviously he's been He's out of jail, fucking hands on the working with his wife and all that. Aye, and he just needs and he, work. And he gets like he gets given this job with fucking Michael Caine and all that. Mm-hmm. And like it's like he's almost like disgusted with the fact that she's like a, a prosy. Yeah, yeah. Aye, uh, you can't believe what he's doing, but it's like one of these things where the again it's like a love hate relationship where he he's doing the job, but he's kind of disgusted at what's what she's doing and who she's doing and because there's, there's like a, a was, to describe one of them as like an Arab and it's always like a big fancy mansion he has to sit outside in the car they're sitting bringing him pots of tea mm-hmm. and I love it like when he does kind of have his pretty woman transformation and he gets like the, the nice suit the long black jacket and he takes it to the hotel and they come over going, oh, a, a Bloody Mary, sir. He's like, no, a pot of tea, yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, Arrow Grey or Darjeeling? He's like, a pot of tea. <laughs> just, it's like, sure, he, he's changing, he's trying to be classy himself, but the waiter still manages to confuse him. It's, it's like, tea. I was waiting for him to fucking say, Tetley. Because <laughs> he does the same as well when he goes to the fucking, like the, like the strip club, eh? Aye, aye. And he gets like he has he to gets buy a, a fucking drink, a, a glass of champagne or whatever. And he's sitting spitting and, like, it out. He fucking hates it, and he asks the last if he can make him a cup of tea and all that. She tells him to piss off. Mm. <laughs> she just must have thought it was like a fucking chat line. Now that sequence uh, when he's out searching for for Kathy, it was a a weird one because you had uh, what was it Genesis playing over it. Because I remember in aye. the opening credits it said something about aye, original song in too deep, and he's walking about the fucking red light district of London, um, trying to find Simone's friend Kathy, and it's just, and again, there's just something about the set in London looks so fucking uh, run down and grimy, and it's like the fucking sl- whatever sleazy end of London that he ends up in, 
like fucking Chinatown and like I was there earlier this year and it's just like a giant tourist attraction now. So I'd love to know uh, what was like the fucking the fifty pence fucking peep shows and fucking private parties. Like I liked how everything in that red light district uh, was fifty pence. Like uh, go down there with twenty quid and live like a king. Hang on, like fucking back in that like what nineteen eighty six or something. Like that. Yeah, like back in the day, like fifty pence could go a long way. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like all the like all when these... you were like ten year old, like your mum gives you fifty p, you go to the fucking cream bar, and you could buy fucking a fifty pence max, and you'd be fucking loving it. Ah, it's like you know, the, you a never ending bag of sweets. <laughs> and but when he's doing there, I think kind of it's just because it's. It's 80s and it's just all the birds seem dead. I don't know if they seem old or it's like it, it is clear that is the 80s, so there's like no plastic surgeries made it to the UK yet because they all just seem old, tired, and flat. Uh. And it was just one of the things like, man, does he paint a fucking pretty picture of fucking London and all the women in that scene because. <laughs> They're all just walking... Like, even when he was trying to find a blonde and it was like the ginger woman behind the bar and she just pulls her wig off. Huh. And even the 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 fake cafe. Oh, like, the, the one that he goes to buy the ice cream when she fucks off. Aye. And you're just like... I reckon if it's the actress, it's like... The, the voice in her was nippy. Mm. It, was, it was sort of like a real whiny teenager and of course she says she's like 15 and all she's trying to do is fucking blow Bob Hoskins in some hotel room and it just like uh-huh. but she seems to have like the the mindset of a child that just makes it so much creepier and especially yeah. when they all want to fucking eat ice cream and they're saying well you know why and it's like is it because you're all on heroin that you've got your Teeth, you can't eat food. You're all on ice cream. So like, what the fuck? But I was just the lassie asking for a knickerbocker glory. It's like, oh Jesus Christ! Like here she is ordering a Sunday dessert in the fucking side of the night. She's probably blowing dudes. It's like, oh, it was weird. And the the fucking psycho pimp. What about him? Oh, Anderson. Aye, Anderson. That's in the mind. Like, just that one fucking moment where they come out of the lift and he's there with the fucking razor blade. Aye, it's like, Jesus Christ. And it's it's a great kind of hysterical moment because of how they're going down in the lift and he's running, obviously, down flights of stairs to catch them running the fucking razor blade across the fence and and it's just like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen? Oh, he disappeared. And they're just like, Kind of just like sending a message to scare the shit out of Simone. Like, we know where you uh-huh. live. But I actually really loved how there's a part of that that was filmed where it's like them getting out of the lift, but it was clear there was like a camera in another lift on the opposite end of the corridor filming them as they're going up and down. I just thought it was a really creative little camera trick they'd use for that scene. Uh-huh. Funnily enough, this was um, this film got like one Oscar nomination. And it was uh, for uh, Bob Hoskins. Uh, he got a Best Actor nod at the Oscars for this. Uh, but he lost out to Paul Newman for Martin Scorsese's The Colour of Money. Right. That's that. Uh, Tom Cruise one. 
I think if it's uh, uh, is it not supposed to be like a sequel to? Oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's supposed to be a sequel to Paul Newman film for the. Ah, like, uh, I know. 70s, I yeah, I think I do know what you mean because they kind of had that trivia point on IMDb, but I glanced over it. But when I looked at the awards for Mona Lisa, it did mention that uh, Bob Hoskins did win the the BAFTA and Golden Globes for Best Actor. Uh, so he got two out of three for it, which was like decent. Because this yeah. is like it's definitely one of these ones where he did like push himself as an actor. Like the fucking the mental breakdowns he has in this film, like the emotions that he fucking runs through is crazy. Like the boy did uh, act his heart out for it. Because like you can like at the start of the film like you wouldn't really picture him to be like a. That emotional, like, sympathetic ah, guy yeah. and all Some that. Like, dude with a sensitive side, you look at him and he's like, oh, he's a f- mm. like a fucking bulldog, look at him. Mm. And the, the fact that he fucking like, like slaps someone about a few times at the start and all that. Aye. And it's, it's when she like turns and fucking starts battering them. Oh, hi, because that's like and he uh, finds the, the porno tape with her on the cover. And uh, at first I was like, that was so weird where like, he's there and then it's all like, oh, He's like he finds a tape that he really likes, and he's like, and he just seems so fucking out of it. He's like, that's weird. It kind of makes his character look a bit perverted. Then you see that Simone's on the cover of it, and he's just fucking uh, shocked that she has done this. And Ari Ken, hmm. I'm not sure what he was expecting to, like, what reaction he was expecting to get from her by fucking sticking it uh, on in her house, but she fucking loses it, and it's just the footage is. Terrible. It's also like she's clearly going to blow. Uh, I think it was. They said it was Anderson, wasn't it? But it's uh, like all these shots of her like trying to undo his jeans or licking his stomach. And like that's too much like B-roll footage there. I don't need to see. Like just just show her face and then cut to them talking. I don't need to see her licking some dude's fucking belly button. Uh, but aye, uh, she goes off the deep end. Like Simone just goes fucking. Men or she just like slaps him, and there's like George's fucking instant reaction was fucking slap her back, like fr- properly knocks her across the room, and then she gets that uh. fucking a uh, whip. It just smacks him in the past about ten times, and it's like one of those things where obviously she's in a fucking blind rage. She batters him and gets to the point where she breaks down in tears, and she fucking cuddles him, and it's the shot of him. Of course, tears are streaming down his face. His eyes are fucking bloodshot, and you can just see the emotion. And you're thinking, it's like, man, is he really gone there, or does it really hurt to get smacked in the past ten times? <laughs> and it's just real tears going, oh, you bastard. It's like, stay character, don't break. <laughs> I think it's probably the second one. Because like. she goes to town on him, eh? Like, it's just like when they saying the camera doesn't cut, she just fucking whoosh. And she just screaming, telling him, like, if you had to go through what I've went through type of thing. And it's just like, man. And it is a... Yeah, I, I, I got a fucking tiny bit emotional, like, for that sequence. Just, like, fucking teared up a little bit. And it's just like... It was... Fuck, I don't know if it's... You could describe it as really melodramatic. But it's just such, like, a horrible moment for both of them. And just seeing fucking George tear up, it fucking caught me. It fucking hit me right in the uh. feels. 
but I do love like their re um kind of relationship because at points it's almost like George is almost kind of fancies her, and it he's mm. just he's clearly has like this moral conflict because it's like also like a, it's a business thing. He knows what she does, but they also kind of connect on a level where he's obviously looking to protect her. But it's when like Michael Caine's character wants to know what she's doing. What is she doing with that Arab? And he's like asking us, ah, so what, so what do you do when you're out there? And she just knows right away that he's just fucking snooping for information. And she sends him the two Polaroids of her fucking, with the, the teapot, oh, pouring the some, teapot, eh? uh, drinking fucking tea, <laughs> just to fucking wind his ticket. And I do like his stories, like when he's, he's kind of uh, doing the exposition to, to Tommy explaining how his day is going on said oh I could write a fucking book is that a book Tall Black Tart <laughs> or was it uh, uh, a tall long legged black tart and it was just <laughs> the way they're fucking going on about it and I love that like, we were talking about George's uh, like protective nature of her like when they keep going to like London's King's Cross and in my head like, oh they're going to a train station I said no is a bridge full of whores. And the it's the 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 pimp where he comes up to the window. Ah, uh, fucking He was in EastEnders. Was he? Ah, he played oh what's his name? I wouldn't be surprised, but it was um, it was when he fucking goes to drop the N bomb and George snaps. Ah, just close to fucking turning him. Just starts fucking smashing his face in. It was was nice to see that happen. And it was just like one of those things where it's just like, yes, he is protecting her. And you just think, obviously, the big bad guy of the fucking film, uh, Mortwell, Michael Caine. It's strange because he only has like a handful of scenes in the movie. Mm. But he's clearly just like the fucking the head honcho of behind all this fucking I reckon like dark prostitution ring or yeah the fact that like Anderson's kind of one of his guys and it's the brilliant scene because obviously it is only a handful of scenes but he manages to be horrid and unsettling in all of them and the good example is like when he snaps at George when he shows him those Polaroids of her drinking the tea. Aye. Because they're kind of friendly at first. Oh, I'm like, you're good, George. I'm doing you a favour and you need to do me a favour and we'll be happy. And you like it when I'm happy and you're happy and everything's good. And he's like, well, here's her drinking tea and he just fucking wipes it like a row of drinks and he just fucking is like, no, you're pissing me about. Tell me what the fuck she's doing. And he's just like, oh, this... He's dark. And I do, like, Michael Caine, again, one of these actors that always looks fucking old, even though this film was, like, done in the fucking um, 80s. Still looks like it. <laughs> I reckon he's like Morgan Freeman. The cunt will always be old. I will never see mm. a film with him being young. I'm pretty sure I even saw Michael nah. Caine in that Jaws movie, and he still looked old in that. And that would have been, what, 70s? Probably. Um, but what did you think of Michael Caine being a prick in this film? I I was I was kind of surprised that he was 
Um, like the like the, the guy that fucking kind of was the reason that uh, Bob Lawson's was in the in jail for anyway. Aye. And then like I kind of was more surprised that he was like the one that was like kind of like the lead to this fucking like run because like like some I'm pretty sure like some of the lasses they probably have are probably underage and all that. Aye, aye, because it. It's, and it's, the it's like, you get, like a dancing club. Fucking, it's like you get that scene when fucking, uh, George goes to the door of the old boy and he's got her fucking, she's got Simone like, tied up and all that. Oh, aye. And aye. He, goes, he goes to fucking, goes to him and him and And then it's, it's when he finally catches fucking Kathy. Um, Kathy. And it's like, the, it's, like, it's like the slip mirror sort of thing. Ah, aye. I like how it's already set up with a camera to incriminate someone. Uh It's like a wee Polaroid and fucking catch it. This, like, this weird character with fucking latex gloves on. Uh Just filling coffee like, through the head of her. And like, she's, aye, and it's like, he's in the car with her and like, fucking, like, she only knows, like, one song. Mm-hmm. And like, you can kind of tell he's a wee bit annoyed about it and all that, but. Aye. But, and then, uh, it's when like, fucking. This is their depiction of drugs. Like a mm. song stuck on repeat. Yeah, it's when obviously when fucking Simone gets there, that's kind of like when like the penny drops where like George and I mean he like, realizes that like she doesn't fancy him because like she's like, a great big she's like woman and all that. <laughs> and it was like kind of Robbie Coltrane like the penny dropping for him as well when he realizes what's going on. Uh, and the the I guess like the whole third act kind of just goes to to Brighton, doesn't it? Uh ah, uh, because they're on the pier and all that. And he yeah, does it? We dance for it, and then he kind of just becomes really fucking intense, like really a like really aggressive way. Or aye, and it is it. It's clearly like his character's fucking mentally messed up because he does. He did have sort of like a family, like. Whilst it's brief, you do get to see those scenes with him and his daughter. Aye. Uh, like where he's... And like he'll not tell her like where he was and all that. Exactly. and But the mum wants nothing to do with him. But he'll give her a wee lift to him for school because he's got his fancy motor. And it's just... I reckon he's obviously just trying to kind of have like a... An, not earn an honest living, but still make a bit of cash and support his his family but I guess like him trying to rescue Kathy and take care of Simone then realise that, that they're actually a couple and he's just what can he do but aye when he kind of snaps uh, on that pier and puts on the wee Elton John sunglasses and it's like he kind of uh, decides it's like a Jekyll and Hyde transformation where he wants to be happy for her but he wants to be happy himself he wants to find a woman and and Simone, why won't you like me type of thing? And he's just... Like he's going through all these different stages. It is uh, definitely like a... A fucking standout role for Bob Hoskins, I think. Like, where it is a... Him doing a fucking a lot. Uh, I've probably repeated this a lot of times, but I just like... Really fucking went to town on this one and I guess it paid off with like all those award nominations but uh, that yeah. crazy moment kind of gets cut short when they realise 
uh, Mortwell and his fucking cronies have shown up. Mm. Well, the thing I thought was funny about that, like, doing, like, that, uh, like chasing. You're not going to say, are you? Not the midgets. It's <laughs> where he turns and he dumps the fucking fish trolley Aye. on them. And then he obviously fucking, then it's two midgets that come out and start fucking... Just out of, out of fucking like, nowhere, have a wee scuffle, and then go uh, back to doing the wee dance. Like, okay, what the fuck was that? <laughs> but it's uh, when madly. it's when they, they, the 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 sort of the climax when they get back to the hotel, and he's left Simone with a gun, and you're just thinking, what the fuck's going on? Because Mortwell's already there, and he's sitting there with the fucking rabbit that like the message that he got delivered for the start of the film. And you're just thinking, what the fuck's going to happen? And, well, with fucking the results of what Kathy does is probably like entirely justified. It's almost kind of uh, rewarding to watch because at first, like, when she... I'm trying to think. There's a scuffle over the gun and she shoots him in the foot. And uh, fucking Michael Caine's like, my fucking toes! And she just fucking... Just Shoots him like a fucking was it two bullets to the chest, maybe? Aye, and then she shoots Anderson as well. Aye, and that's it. She just fucking ends them. And you just think, well, fucking job's done. I was really thinking, oh, I was kind of waiting on her. Uh, I was kind of waiting on her, like, actually pulling the trigger on the fucking Aye. Uh, George. I well, thought maybe she'd just put him out of his misery. Cause... I know. It did kind of, he was asking for it as well. Like that fucking moment yeah. when she just fucking turned, pointed at him, and he's like, go for it. Do it. End it. Because there, was like, there wasn't like a any positive outcome for him in that situation. Especially in Brighton, anyway. And it just kind of uh, just... It's kind of these things that, well, we've written ourselves into a corner here. What do we do? Okay, let's just fade away. Oh, George is back in London. He's got Tommy and his daughter. And everything seems all right. Mm. But it's like, did you hear anything about Simone? <laughs> it cuts to her going to jail. <laughs> it is, it's one of these films that I was just fucking pleasantly surprised with uh, when I first watched it. And watching it again, I just just kind of enjoyed everything I saw about it. Like, just watching these moments again, like Robbie mm. Coltrane. Like, I don't care if you could just say that fucking Robbie steals. I can't. He's definitely the best comedic relief in the film. Like he's made me laugh the Aye. most. But fucking George, it's his film. He, no George, Bob Hoskins, Aye. like is fucking terrific in the film. But I think um, because obviously, kind like, of like goes through like all the emotions. Exactly, he fucking goes and, like, there. Is, like he's wanting to like he's wanting to be happy and. Mm-hmm. And that's it's like, hi, we've seen him in yeah. films like fucking Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where he gets to ham it up, and we've seen films where he gets to be the the gangster, mobster, like Ray Winston type. But this one, it's just, it's, you get to see a fucking different side of the guy. And like, uh. levels of emotion, levels of inten- like intensity, rage, fucking see him break down in tears, get to see him putting on Elton John sunglasses. Like, he does the lot. Hmm. But I, were, were you happy with the ending? 
I like was saying that I, I wasn't kind of expecting like a, a drama, but I think well, like, the inclusion, like the whole like Anderson thing, and that like, like I thought the ending was like pretty decent, and I think it was Aye. a bit more enjoyable than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Um, I kind of glad because it's one of these films that I I can't see anyone not enjoying this film. Right, for people if they like Bob Hoskins or like a good story, it ends up being like a good tale. Like I'm always pleased when I'll go on like Facebook or Instagram and I see someone's either bought it or they've watched it. It's like, ah, oh, cool. There's like just kind of more eyes on it. And it was probably a huge film back in its day. But just one of these ones uh, where you just never think like Bob Hoskins films and you're like, oh, aye, fucking long good Friday. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hook. Like, you think of all the other ones first. Uh, but aye, uh, Mona Lisa is definitely one of these um, hidden gem movies, and oh. fuck, I, I think we've come to the end of the show. We've that's us, our yeah, the the conclusion to our uh, Bob Hoskins double bill. Um, if you want to contact us on social media, you can uh, at FAS Podcast. Uh, that covers Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I try and post something a little bit different on each of them. Um, we're doing loads of top fives at the moment when it hits like a celebrity's birthday, and it's someone that we've seen like a lot of their work. We'll post a top five. Mike does a few. I do a few. Uh, you can follow Mike online at Mikey Van B. That's the same for Twitter and Instagram, isn't it? Ah, uh, yeah. same. Cool. That's it. If you want to support the show, go to filmsandswearing.com. I just renewed that website domain today, so it will stand for another 12 months. Uh, so yeah, go on there. Have a look at all the shows that we've done in the past. There's fucking over 250 of them now. And uh, click on the Amazon link and buy yourself something that you don't need, because we're all still kind of locked down, and you can't even buy anything you want for the shop. So you may as well just go buy something that you need any need, like uh, I can fucking like 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 the four hundred quid fucking uh, Infinity Saga box set. Aye, do that or yeah. fucking buy some Marvel themed face masks. So you could get like a face mask that or, was like uh, buy a stellar gold chain, like fucking oh like George. Joseph. Ah, exactly. Go, go, fucking on Amazon and see if you can get a plastic spag bowl with fork. <laughs> anyway, that's that. It's done to death. I've been your host, Stuart Zellan, and joining me across the internet tonight is my co-host, Magic Mike Christie. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, fuck off and tune in next week. <laughs>